Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast with Tony Marinero. 55 seconds left in the penalty, a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3. Lafleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into Lemaire, back to Lafleur. The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. You're in the ball. Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoint, on lui fait perdre la rondelle, une passe devant. Et c'est la victoire des Canadiens. You found the dogs. John, you found the dogs. He found the dogs. And all together, they worked the young team to the top. And now, a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup. Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground, your premier gaming destination. It's going to be sick. Marinero, the sick podcast. Let me see if I still know how to do this live from Portugal. Yes, I'm still here and I'll be here for, uh, I'll be back next week in Montreal. But yeah, I'm doing this and it's a lot of fun with Shane Gomol back at Master Control and the sick podcast, of course, brought to you in part by Energy Transportation Group, a leading full service logistics provider serving all of North America, driven to be different. You know, that they were recently named by Deloitte and CIBC as one of Canada's best managed companies the country's leading business award recognizing innovative and world-class companies, the best managed Canadian companies designation fuels energy's purpose of creating progress for their customers, their employees, their communities, join a winning team and check out energy's career page for available opportunities. Also brought to you in part by the brand new renovated revamped playground, over 30,000 square feet of new gaming, dining and entertainment space. Time to reacquaint yourself with playground world-class sushi. I like that. Triple A stakes. I like that even better. Live shows, a brand new poker floor, and so much more located just over the Mercy Bridge. Only minutes from downtown Montreal. Playground experience. The strip without the trip. I like that. Brewed in Quebec, a winner of a dozen international awards. Another partner of the Sick Podcast is La Bit at TV. They offer quality microbrewery beers made with premium ingredients for everyone's taste. La Bit at TV. Embrace your true nature. And of course, also brought to you in part by. Accent Insurance Solutions. You know, all insurance isn't created equal. I've been trying to tell you that. And you know where to find the right solution for you. It's Accent Insurance. Accent doesn't sell insurance. They shop insurance for you to find the right product. Right on the money. Whatever your insurance needs, home, automobile, or business, call the Accent team today at 514-363-3636. You're not going to get the number wrong. Just think of Sergio Momesso, 363 36 36 and get the right solution at the right price visit their website at accentassurance.com accentassurance.com without further ado i don't remember when was the last time he and i did this together he is a regular collaborator on the sick podcast every monday but i think for whatever reasons here there and everywhere and a little bit of travel for both of us that i think we've uh we're we took a couple of weeks off but we're back we're back and back in time for the new year on this Monday, January 8th. Happy New Year. All the best to you and yours. Eric Engels of sportsnet.ca. How you doing, bud? 
I'm good. It's only been a couple weeks, but it's it feels like longer because I know I know you miss me. I know. All right. I thought it was. I, I thought like too. today would be like three weeks, so it's only been two. You know when hey, you I travel and you, you know this. Yeah, thank you. you. When you travel and you know this more than I do because you travel more than I do. Sometimes you kind of lose track of time, dates, this, that, and all that stuff. So anyway, yeah, when you cover a one of those living, when you cover a hockey team yeah. for a living, sometimes you kind of lose track of what day it is, what time it is, also. I hear you, man. Do we have a lot to talk about, though, eh? Because uh, it's been a couple of weeks. I mean, they went on that uh, seven-game road trip that was divided up in two segments, of course, before the holidays and right after the holidays. They went 500. They come back for their first game back, the dreaded first game back from the road trip. By the way, everyone talks about the dreaded first game back from the road trip. Do you have any stats on that? I know you're putting it on the spot, but everyone says the first game back is usually a loss. I don't even know if that's true. It's just everybody says that. Honestly, I'm not the type of guy that looks up stats on that because to me, it's all bullshit. Um, There is a reality factor that your first game back from a long road trip, especially if it's out west or whatever long road trip, whether even if it's in the northeast and you play in the northeast. like If you have a team filled with players who have kids, they come back and there's a whole lot to do around the house. Uh, and take care of things that you haven't been taking care of uh, that your spouse or significant other has been taking care of while you've been away. And all of a sudden you have, you feel the need to, you know, at least back clean up and, and relieve a little bit. Uh, that's a factor uh, for younger guys who haven't been in the league long, long, you know, it, it's, it could be a factor that it requires time for them to adjust on how to properly make that change from West coast time over to East coast time or, sleep patterns or take care of yourself properly so that you know how to, but you know, I'm sure there's, I don't know what the statistics say. I don't know if teams more frequently lose those games than they do win them. But I know that the frequency of which we start hearing that excuse come out when a team does lose uh, is definitely more significant than, you know, when they win, nobody really talks about, uh, Oh man, they had a long trip. It's really impressive that they got a win uh, in this first game back. And I don't think the Canadians started that game badly. They definitely didn't finish. Yeah. It. No, they didn't finish it. Well, there's also of course a sense of fatigue because when you've been away from your significant other for a couple of weeks, it's an opportunity for you guys to reacquaint yourselves. Mm. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. so, mm. you know, <laughs> some get more fatigued than others and, and some don't really get all that fatigued. But anyway, it's another story. This is a family show. We should keep it that way. My bad, me and my one try, I'm always going head in the gutter. Okay. Um, so that game versus the Rangers on Saturday night, man, mm-hmm. uh, what an awesome game. Like what an awesome game. This is, this is all I've ever asked for over the last couple of years of, finishing dead last a couple of years ago and fifth last last year. And all I asked for was just entertain me. I know it's a rebuild. I know you're going to miss the playoffs. You might miss it this year. You might even miss it next year. Just entertain me. It doesn't happen all the time. And it's not always their fault. 82 game schedule, three games and four nights, four games and six. Sometimes it's almost just physically impossible. Well, the Canadians didn't give their fans much on Thursday night versus the Sabres. But, man, they gave them a game on Saturday night versus the Rangers, one of the better teams in the National Hockey League. And I get it. Samuel Montembeau stole it. But the Canadians still did provide some run support. They gave them three goals. What a great hockey game. Great hockey game and also due to the Rangers, right? Like so much skill on that team. And you look at the defense and the way it's assembled, it's a pretty good model for what you might see from the Canadians uh, in a few years down the line. Like I think that defense – 
I could talk a lot about that defense, but I won't bore anybody. But one guy I look at, I get excited. Everyone likes Jacob Trouba. Everybody likes Adam Fox. You know, one brings physicality, the other offense. Okay, I love watching uh, DeAndre Miller. Oh, my God. This guy yeah. can skate like the wind. To have Braden Schneider on your third pair. Um, you know, amazing. Jeff Gordon had a had a big hand with Nick Bobrov, Bobrov in building the defense the New York Rangers have. Um, or also with their pro scouting when you think about what happened with Adam Fox. But, like, man, Ryan Lindgren, like, Charlie, his brother, was here for a long time in Montreal. Yeah. And just Ryan Lindgren, to me, is a player that I that I like to watch and just say, like, I see a lot of similarities in the game that Caden, built, Caden Gooley is building Yeah, in terms of, like, those are two players that I think look alike. In terms of the way they play the game, he's he might be one of the most underrated players in the game, Ryan Lindgren. He's physical. He can he won't put up a lot of points, but he does contribute to offense getting started from his own end. He skates so well and he's just tough as nails. So yeah, like I love watching their defense, their forwards. Talk about Ryan Lindgren being underrated. Like Mika Zabinajad, I think, is the most underrated player in the NHL. Like he's he's ridiculous and obviously at the center of uh, of the storyline on Saturday night because of what yeah. the goaltender did to him on the other end. And I will say this, Tony, like super entertaining game. People always ask us, you know, you really don't cheer for the team, and you know, I don't I don't cheer for teams. I don't cheer for wins. I don't care about losses. I cheer for the best story possible. And man, did we get one on Saturday? Like that was yeah. as a reporter the most fun type of game to write about. That was uh, that was quite the trade that the Rangers made when they uh, when they went out and got uh, Mika Zibanejad. <laughs> that was quite the trade. It was Jeff Gordon? Was it not? Or- hey, Ottawa came within a game in the Stanley Cup final, getting Derek Brassard in that deal. But yeah, I, I think that is the most lopsided trade and the most head scratcher type of trade. Uh, I, I would if I could corner Jeff Gordon. I still don't think he would answer. But if I could corner him on how he pulled that one off. It's it's the heist of the century. Like, well, basically, especially he, where Zabinajad was at. Like, it, it was yeah. right before he was ready to pop. And like, I don't know, like if Ottawa had kept that player. Yeah. Anyways, the way he pulled it off is basically that Ottawa threw in the towel on a young player. I mean, they just gave up on a very young player. They probably thought he was never going to be able uh, to play the potential that they saw in him when they made the top ten. I don't know if it's that pick. simple. Like they they identified a target, obviously that they felt could help them through a playoff run, and, and yeah. he did. You know, Derek Broussard had a great run with Guy Boucher and those miracle kind of Senators and everything. But like, yeah, holy crap! Like watching Mika Zibanejad play, he is so lethal and so smart and so good at both ends of the ice. Like it's. Yeah. Uh, it was pretty right. amazing watching Sam Montambo shut the door on him, that's for sure. I, I was going to almost end with this, but we're there, so why don't we just start with it? They, you know, the Canadians have a 3 nothing lead. The Rangers tie it up midway through the third at three. Uh, rest of the way, there's no goal. No goal in overtime. It goes to a shootout. Cole Caulfield scores the only one in a shootout. Mika Zabinajad does the Peter Forsberg one-hand-on-the-stick move to beat Montambo. And it looks like he does. And Montembeau, in turn, sticks out his stick himself, has it along the ice, and is able to swat the puck away, stop it and swat it away. What a fantastic save. And here's the deal. And I've said this earlier today on BPM Sports, where I have a a, a daily hit 
um, at around uh, 12.40 p.m. Eastern with uh, with George Larac and Stefan Gonzalez. Today, I said to George, I said, George, when the Canadians picked up Montembeau off of waivers, and I've said this story before, the first couple of times I saw him, and I'm no goalie expert by any means, obviously not, I said, I don't think this guy's an NHL goalie. And he not only proved he was an NHL goalie, last year he proved how much character he had by having a better season than Jake Allen. But despite all of that, Marty St. Louis didn't want to say last year he was the number one. He was asked about it on Saturday night after the game. Is Montembeau your number one? And he still didn't say he was. He preferred to answer it like he's playing like one right now. Your thoughts on all of that, because I had doubts on Montembeau. I think the doubts are over. Like, I'm going to stop doubting the guy. He's a number one. Um, I'm wondering where his ceiling is going to go, Eric. Well, I mean, I think we're all wondering that. And I think as you and I discussed it earlier on this season, uh, we're talking about a player that we all thought had the potential to be a really good 1B on a, on a, on a really good team and showed that he was angling towards becoming a, a 1A. And the, the, the desire was to see whether or not he could become that and potentially more, right? As he was coming into a contract year and all that. Um, if if you're reading into St. Louis' comments as him doubting Montumbo, I don't I don't really I don't think he has any doubt in Sam Montumbo. I will say this, you know, like I remember going back to training camp. Uh, somebody asked him if it was time for Raphael Harvey Pinard to feel as though like he's earned his chair in Montreal. And his response was like, why do I ever have to say that? Like, you're, you're, you have to earn it every single day. And I think you have to consider, like, where St. Louis has come from in his background as a player, right? A player that was undrafted, a player that went unsigned, a player that was cut from Calgary, a player that nobody, you know, was begging to get into training camps and other places and nobody would give him his chair. And, like, he earned everything he got and continued to have to prove it. As soon as he was in the NHL, he was a fourth-line player. Uh, he went down to the AHL. So his willingness to keep players hungry or his desire to keep players hungry, I, I think that's part of good coaching. I think that's that's tactical. It's become undeniable for Marty or anybody else that doubted Sam Montambo in the past that he's the number one goaltender on this team. It's not that's, even close. That part is undeniable. It's um, not even close. Marty has to be careful about how he answers to those questions too, because he also knows he has to play Jake Allen and he has to play Caden Primo until that solution is found uh, on the market and clearing up that space and moving into the future of what the Canadians goaltending should look like and will, you still have to keep those guys somewhat fresh and still keep the market engaged. Uh, so it's, it's a delicate balance. I would bet a lot of money that over the first 39 games of the year, I'm sure Marty would have liked to have played Sam maybe even a little bit more than he already has, you know, but there are other factors at play here. Like, so that's a great, I don't point. think it takes anything away from him. That's, that's a great point. It's probably less about not wanting Sam to be complacent and more about not telling the entire world that Montembeau is your number one, because then you're clearly saying that Allen's not, 
at the same time, I mean, the scouts are like everybody's watching. I think it's become pretty clear, but I think that's a great point. I think it's a real great point. All right. So uh, blowing leads. Marty says we have to be more aware um, of, of, of blowing leads. I mean, actually, some of the players were echoing that as well. Uh, they almost blew it in Dallas where the stars came within a whisker of, uh, of, uh, of tying that game up and Marchman misses pretty much an empty net in front of them. Uh, they almost blew it versus the New York Rangers, but I, I get, you know, for me, I don't think it's really anything with their game. I think it's, they're an average team. They're 39 points in 39 games. They're 500. The fact that they're able to be 500 with all the injuries they've had and they have, I think, is the most surprising thing and pretty remarkable. Um, these are growing pains of a team that is average to begin with and has a lot of key injuries. They're going to win some. They're going to lose some. They're going to surprise you in some. They're going to blow some leads in some. The goalie's going to steal some. This is who they are, Eric. Yeah, and against a Dallas Stars team that has the most comeback wins in the league and uh, against a New York Rangers team that's the best team on the road in the league. Um, but yeah, you said it. Like No Doc, no Newhook, no no uh, Dvorak all of a sudden, and people will laugh and say, well, they're better off without Dvorak because it's so you know unremarkable necessarily what, what Dvorak brings to the equation. But when you lose a centerman who's over 55% in the draw and the, and you're only you're left with one lefty centerman and a guy who can take minutes and free up space for Nick Suzuki on the ice in terms of freeing up the matchup a little bit and a guy that plays on both special teams you know you and I and the fans can say well you know maybe they're better off with it and like they're not they're not better off with that guy with that guy gone with new hook and doc already out as center options um you know the fact that they keep winnings you know like the fact that they won on saturday like this is what you look at it on paper i don't think they should be able to do that now the biggest yeah, well, factor listen, in them yeah biggest factor in them being yeah sorry go ahead Tony. no no go ahead i interrupt oh, the, the biggest factor in them winning on saturday was obviously montombo but they still scored the three goals to put themselves in a position to do it right like and i, I think if people are watching objectively third period after it is 3-3 watch the way the canadians play the rest of that game like they they played very well very smart they didn't give up a whole lot of anything except for the last few seconds of overtime and you talked about the save that montebo made in the shootout with one and a half seconds left and this is why i think sabinajad is such a special player like i don't know how many players in the world would have been like, this goalie's kind of hot and I'm going to really try and fool him with something here. And he purposely shoots a change up at Montambo with, you know, one and a half seconds left. Like, it would be the yeah. last thing. And I loved, I asked Sam about it and he said, well, I was a catcher also in baseball, so I kind of knew how to play the change up. But like, yeah. right after that, if it gives, it gives you a sample of how good Sam's game was that night, is that he faces that changeup, and then he faces the ultimate fastball from Truba. He winds up and steps into a puck that's coming towards him uh, and rips it off his collarbone. Like, he was so good in that game. But, like, honestly, the Canadians deserve their credit, too. Like, they, they, they played pretty well, and they're managing to do that in spite of all the injuries that you just mentioned. Well, look, I... I what I was going to say was uh, I wanted to add on Dvorak. I understand people not being the president of the Dvorak fan club because 
you know, uh, the Montreal Canadiens made, and Mark Bergevin made Phil Deneau walk, and he went to Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, Jesperi Kakayemi ended up in Carolina, and they figured, hey, you know what, we need a centerman. And they end up pulling the trigger on a deal for Christian Dvorak. We had heard that other teams were interested as well, the Bruins being one of them. And Dvorak really hasn't panned out to the expectations that some people um, had hoped for when they made the deal. But, I mean, saying that they're better off with Dvorak, I mean, that's simply not true for many reasons. Number one, uh, he takes time on the penalty kill. Number two, uh, on any given night, he could be, like you said, their best face-off man. Number three, um, he he opens up room for uh, Suzuki to get away from possible matchups and maybe even Monaghan. Number four, with all due respect to Mitchell Stevens, who had a really nice assist on UL Armia's goal on Saturday, he's an upgrade on him. So, I mean, look, uh, the trade hasn't worked out. And number five, and we can add this, uh, Dvorak's contract is up at the end of next year. Uh, I think we can, I think we, uh, I don't know if I can say speak for you, Eric, but I think it's pretty obvious to me this is going to be a player that they're going to try and move next year before the deadline. And so when you want to try and move players, you need them to play. I mean, they're, they're not gaining market value when they're not playing. You need yeah. them to play. Yeah. And, and I don't know how much he's adding to his market value or, or detracting from it from here to the end of this season, but for sure next season that comes into view. And you would think that if he's healthy enough to play right now, he at least gets, gets, the opportunity to build up his game so that he comes in next season with a certain confidence level that, Hey, like let's not forget, um, you know, he started the season on IR. He had off season knee surgery and there have been parts of the season where he's actually played quite well. Like it's not reflected in any kind of major statistics. And again, one of the biggest things that's gone against the Vorex since he's been in Montreal is he doesn't do anything that brings you out of your seat. When, when you don't have the stats and you don't have that going, it's very easy for everybody to pick apart your game and say, ah, this is useless. It's not really there, but it's, it's anything but useless to the guys in that room who all respect him and think he's a pretty consistent veteran type of presence um, for a guy who's still somewhat young at 26, 27 years old, but still look, the Canadians, it is impressive that they are where they are. I think it's a testament to their goaltending. It's a testament to, the coaches as well to see that whether they get the results or not, they are progressing in the style and the culture and the things that they need to progress in to continue to get better. And some of the individuals now are starting to show that they've taken other steps in their development. Uh, the most obvious one is the kid who was drafted first overall in 2022. So Slavkowski, speaking of which, and I got this off your Twitter feed earlier today, here's a little video. If we can bring it up. Doing yeah. a little bit of extra work. You're right. I'm in the, in the bottom of the frame. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I tried to I tried to crop it out as much as I could, but there was still a little bit. You you got a big thumb, my friend. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know what they say: big thumb, big hands. I mean, I uh, knew all right, okay. What, I knew that's what you were gonna say after making that yeah. comment, but sure. Hey, uh, working with uh, with a shooting coach. Yes. Yeah, working with a shooting coach, Doctor Shot. They call him Doctor um, Shot. Doctor Shot. So here's the thing about that, and I just wrote about this in my column for Sportsnet. I have a, I have a notebook that's out today, which mm-hmm. is great going into uh, Gallagher's 
scoring slump and the fact that the first time we actually talked about it was you know after his 24th game and there's a great contrast there with Anderson and there's a part about Michael Pizzetta who I think you and I should talk about at some point here so I, I'll, I'll leave that for now and let me let me let me guess Marty St. Louis often talks about some players playing chess and some players playing checkers Michael Pizzetta is playing pinball yeah, that, that was a tweet. I follow you? Yeah, you that was a tweet I, I put, I put out on Saturday, and I had a good laugh with Pizzetta about it. I think he likes it. it. Would even take it as a nickname, but even here in Portugal, Eric, I'm all over your Twitter. I love it. I love it. I love it. But you know what? Like, I'm bringing this up. Slavkovsky was the third note, and based on that video, of course, and it, he was in there because what makes a first overall pick different than some of the other picks or one of the high draft picks different from other picks. Um, one of the things is their ability to progress quickly. And if, if I had asked you, if I asked you right now, what was the biggest thing from the day he was drafted through his first season in the NHL that your Slavkovsky really needed to work on? What, what would you have said? Would, would you say it was his play with the puck or it was his play without the puck? Uh, I would say, um, well, it all depends on which eye you want to look at it, but I'll, I'll answer it this way, okay? Answer it? No, just just one or the other. Just one or the other. Play with the puck or play without the puck? I, I, I would think the thing he probably had to work on first, you would have thought would have been his play with the puck because it seemed like he wasn't making all the right decisions. Okay. He was you got the, you got the wrong answer. <laughs> he was I, and I figured I And I figured I did, by the way. But well, when you play, hear Marty St. Louis speaking for a year about the fact that you know they want to work on his reads and get him his touches and make sure he's in the right places yeah. to get the right touches, then it's clearly his play without the puck, right? You got to read properly, you got to find your positioning, you got to find your timing, and then you get the puck. And then, so you know, one of the things that has been so obvious in Slavkovsky's progression is that all those things that I was just talking about. It's gone from his biggest weakness to probably his biggest strength that he's exhibiting on the ice, which so, shows how fast. That's that's the difference between players that are drafted for a second, third, fourth, fifth. They progress quickly in, in areas where they're focusing. And that's been all the focus for Slavkovsky in his time in Montreal. And that's why every time he's gone through an extensive point drought or whatever it is, you've heard Marty St. Louis say, I don't care about that right now. All I care about is him getting his touches because if he gets his touches, it means he's going to the right areas of the ice to get them and he's getting there at the right time, right? So the part of Slavkovsky's development that has really blown me away more than anything else has been his overall 200-foot game. And when you talk about a 200-foot game, you usually talk about a 200-foot game for centermen, not for wingers. But every now and then you talk about it for wingers and Yuri Lettinen comes to mind and Bob Ganey comes to mind and there are others. I never thought that Slavkowski could end up being this good of a two-way player. The way he's going, he could end up being like a really, really fine two-way player. The way he tracks back, the way he's able to strip pucks, the way he's able to recover pucks, the way he's able to take people out of the play. I think it's 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 mind-boggling. And with that comes, you talked about their ability to do things, learn things right away. I thought it was going to take Slavkovsky a while to learn because of how big 
he is and how much he relied on his physicality and his athleticism. And as we know, players who rely on their physicality and athleticism throughout the years and throughout the ranks, they tend to exercise the brain less than other players would because they're able to get away with doing certain things because of their physicality and athleticism. Well, for a guy who hasn't exercised the brain as much as a smaller player would, Uri has learned so quickly how to improve his overall game and make some of these adjustments. Obviously, the development team deserves a lot of credit. So there's some great teachers there. They do, but, but it doesn't happen but, without the player, right? And yeah. special players special players find ways to do that. And you don't get chosen first overall without having a certain element of being special within you. And I was driving at a point here, right? Because I think you've noticed that despite all the improvement that Slavkovsky has made, and you talk about 200-foot game, back-checking, forechecking, and all that comes with making the right reads. He has the body to yeah. do those things and has the ability to do them. But if he's not in the right place to do them, he won't do them. And I'm honestly, I'm not comparing the two. It makes me think of like what the potential is. I think of like a guy like Rick Nash. I think of a guy who was known as an exceptional two-way player at that size. And here's the thing that should be really compelling. And that's why I put this video out on Twitter. Uh, because 30 minutes after practice, yes, it speaks to Slavkovsky's work ethic that he's out there with a shooting coach working on something that he clearly needs to work on. But I put it out because Slavkovsky has reached the point of his development where it makes sense for him to be working on that. Because we've seen in games of late that he is in position to shoot the puck and he either hesitates or he's not ready or when he is ready and willing, he misfires or gets a shot blocked. And so he was working on the different nuances of shooting with this shooting coach. And he has found, you know, Marty has said several times, I used to laugh and I usually laugh at players who work on their one-timer all at practice when they're not players who get into positions to take one-timers in games. That's where we're at with Slavkovsky. And, and I will wrap it up with the same thought that I had in my column today. Knowing how fast Slavkovsky has adjusted mm-hmm. and turned a specific weakness, playing without the puck, into a strength. And it is a undeniable strength watching him forecheck, watching him backcheck, watching him play that 200-foot game that you talked about, which St. Louis said after Saturday's game, I've come to expect that out of Slavkovsky's game now. It doesn't surprise me when he strips a guy of the puck or wins a battle or does this or that. Knowing how fast he made that adjustment and turned a weakness into a strength, now he's working on something that he already has a skill for. And don't be surprised if the adjustment comes fast. We, it took him 39 games last year and probably about 15 this year to get to the type of game that we've seen over a 20 or so game segment where that other stuff is there now he's allowed he's allowed himself to work on something where he'd actually be in position to take advantage of it and i don't think the adjustment will take a very and when i say not a very long time if it takes him 30 games where he gets a one-timer chance and finally scores on it that'll start happening a lot more frequently as he does this work that he's doing now Another one of our regular collaborators, of course, Grant McCagg of Recruits and Recruits.ca, as well as the Recruits Draftcast podcast on the Sick Media Network, put out a couple of videos on Twitter where you see some great defensive plays by Uri Slavkowski, notably on Lafreniere. 
And one of the things Slavkowski has been criticized for by members of the media and some members of the fan base, of course, is that in the last year, he often had one hand on the stick and, you know, they would get that stick swatted away from him or he would end up losing the puck. But this year, every now and then, he still has a hand on it, but he just whips out that stick. And so he extends it and he's able to knock pucks off of other players' sticks and did a really good job of that on Saturday night. So listen, um, I'm I'm really impressed. Uh, I've said this before and I'll say it again. At one point, I was starting to worry. Uh, even though he was young, not worrying in the sense of, um, of, of, you know, did they take the right decision by keeping him here? And is he going to learn more here? And of course they tried to defend it and they said, yeah. And they, I don't remember what was the exact example with the highway that Kent Hughes gave when there's a bunch of cars coming at the highway, are you better off staying on the highway or going on the service road or whatever it was? But I think it's safe to say the Canadians, they were right. It was, it, was, it was an answer to my, my question. My question is like, what, like, why have him go through that process in the, in, the, in the world, on the world's, on the Autobahn of the NHL? That was how I framed the question. Why yeah. have him go through that process on the Autobahn of the NHL versus, you know, on the Dakari Expressway of the AHL? And the answer which came, which made a lot of sense to me is like, if you are not playing at that speed and learning at that speed, how are you ever going to play at that speed? Right. When you and I spoke earlier this year, when it was an actual debate, you know, Slavkovsky had gone 10 games without recording a point. He was playing decently well, but like you could see he was getting really frustrated. Yeah. And the call for, he should go to the AHL and this and that. And I said, look, if the idea, if the idea, this was the road trip to Arizona, I said, look, if the objective is to get Slavkovsky confidence, then it makes sense. If the objective is to have him achieve the number one thing that the Canadians want him to achieve, which is processing the game at this speed, making the right reads, putting himself in positions to get touches, then he should stay here in Montreal. And you and I just spent 10 minutes talking about the speed at which he has adjusted and done things because when you really think about it, 39, 55 games into an NHL career, like 55 games into an NHL career to turn a glaring weakness into a strength, that is not a lot of time. That is no. super fast. And most players who come into the NHL, whether yeah. they're drafted first or drafted 700th, the number one thing they need to work on is their play away from the puck is making those reads to put themselves in position to get the puck is, is making those reads yeah. to arrive on the forecheck at the right time and the back check at the right time and is learning. You talk about the one hand on the stick thing, learning how to engage throughout an entire shift, not waste energy, but exert it in areas where you didn't used to have to before because you didn't think you had to do that. Like the NHL moves so fast. If you yeah. are not, when we talk about those sequences of Slavkovsky kind of skating with one hand on his stick, he's a little less engaged in those areas, arriving, like moving to get to a back check on time. And it's not because he's lazy. It's just it took time to make those adjustments. It took him less time than it does other players. And that's, that's a big factor in why he was drafted first overall. And when you go back and watch the videos of Bob Rov talking about 
you know, or you go back and and I remember the post draft interviews with Bob Robin Lapointe and with Kent Hughes that the the discussion about how he adapted and and being away from home at 14 years old by himself and how quickly he adapted to the pro game and how quickly he adapted going to the worlds and going from the fourth line to the first line in the Olympics the same story it's not that surprising that it would take him less time to do these things. You talked about Gallagher's first goal in 24 games. And I got to tell you when he's in close like that, that's not the first time I've seen him go top corner like that. He's got a pretty good shot. Uh, Monaghan scores his first goal in 10, a couple of weeks back, maybe give it a couple of weeks. Maybe it was probably about a month ago. There was a report. I think it was Dave Pagnota, the fourth period who said, Hey, by the way, the Canadians seem interested and are talking with Sean Monaghan about a possible extension. And I came on and I said, this is, this surprises me because this is not, it's not a management team that usually changes their mind a year or two down the line. They have a plan and they see it through when they acquired Monaghan. The plan was to trade him at the deadline when he was injured. And then they talked to him again in the off season and they brought him back. I think the plan was once again to get him back in the lineup. He puts up points. He shows his value and they can have a second crack at trading him at the deadline. And now a couple of weeks ago, I believe it was Pierre Lebrun who came out with a report saying a couple of teams interested in Sean Monahan. I'm not surprised to hear that. Eric, if I was a betting man and I know they've had a lot of injuries and I know you can always use center ice, but and I know that Monahan's not old at 29. If I'm a betting man, I'm still betting that their plan is to trade Sean Monaghan before the deadline. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Obviously. Um, look, I, I'm not, I don't like to refute or confirm anybody else's work uh, when I don't have the information myself. Nobody has come to me and told me that the Canadians have had active negotiations with Sean Monaghan over a contract. I will say that on a logical standpoint, and I've always said this about any trade, any contemplated trade of a player. You must know the value of a player to your team and weigh that against the value of your player on the market. And if the value on the market is greater than the value to your team, you trade. trade. Correct. So the Canadians would have to be pretty silly if they didn't at least have some sort of conversation with Monaghan and his agent to find out what does an extension look like? What is the what what would Sean be looking for? What do they think it is? Are they aligned on that? They need to yeah. know what the value is of the player, not just in terms of his play to the team, but his value to the team based on whatever the number will be as a pending unrestricted free agent. Now, I could say this with a pretty fair degree of confidence because you asked me what you should be betting on. The Canadians have a player in Sean Monahan who is how old? 29? 29. He's 29. He has a $2 million cap hit. He has 700 games of NHL experience. He plays in all situations. He has a faceoff percentage of over 56 or 57. He can play the wing. He can kill penalties. Uh, like He can play up and down your lineup. He has been a top six forward and a middle six forward throughout his entire career since the day he stepped into the league. And he has played valuable, important games in this league. 
what do you think his value is going to be on the market? You think you think there'll be a couple teams that'll be interested in a player like that? Like, and knowing that, you know, I I, I would suggest very strongly, whatever yeah. his value is, whether it's a really great prospect or another first round pick, which yeah. I think the Canadians will be able to obtain in moving Sean Monahan. I'm going to suggest that's going to be greater than the value he would provide the Canadians on a three-year contract extension, which is still, you know, I think Sean Monahan has earned term. Whether or not the Canadians would be wise to give it to him with Dvorak still under contract for another year, with Evan still under contract for another year, with Owen Beck coming, with a lot of other players in the system that are developing and where they're at in their build... I would suggest that the value is probably higher on the market. And I, I will continue I, to suggest that as we move into from here I'm to with the you, deadline. Because the market depends on how many interested parties there are too. And like you have to think there's a lot more than one when you describe the player that I just described and what he can do. Eric, if I'm a Stanley Cup contender and I'm taking a look at my team and I'm taking a look at the other teams and I probably have two good centermen I can always use a third. There's other teams I'm going to compete with. Teams that are going to go far, you know, give a, a run at the cup are probably going to have three strong centermen. I'm looking at Monaghan and I'm saying this could be the missing piece to the puzzle for my team probably taking that extra step in the playoffs. Yeah, like and dude, now if, if I'm, take if, I'm if I'm if I'm the if I'm the if I'm the Boston Bruins, I'm yeah. sitting there kind of kicking myself for not not necessarily having the assets to get it done and figuring out how, how can I potentially do it? If I'm the Colorado avalanche, I'm saying, okay, maybe I do have a couple of the pieces, you know, like I'm not saying that either of these teams have inquired or, or mm -hmm. there's anything going on with either of them. I'm just saying when you talk about a, a, like a center who can play the wing and play up and down the lineup and kill penalties and play power play and play between 17 and 20 minutes a game and win 57% of his face-offs and like is just a stand-up. He has size. He's willing to play physical. He go down the list. Like these are the players you dream of having at the deadline for under two million dollars against the cap, with the Canadians even potentially able to retain. I mean the values is there. It was there a year ago before he got hurt. And it's, it might, you know, a year later, unfortunately due to injuries, it might be just the same instead of being more than what it was a year ago, but it was there. If I'm the Edmonton orders and I have Connor McDavid and I have Leon Dreisaitl at one, two, uh, Monaghan could be my third line centerman. At times Monaghan could be my second line centerman. If I'm down a goal and I end up putting Dreisaitl on a line with Connor McDavid, uh, yeah. I understand. I mean, they're they lucky. Ryan they have, they have Nugent Hopkins. Yeah. Yes, they have Ryan Nugent Hopkins, and I understand that. But there's so many examples uh, of, of teams that we can give you that they could they could use a player uh, like Sean Monahan. I mean, so, the Toronto maybe the Toronto. Well, maybe maybe we should stop. Like, I, this should stop being such a exhausting kind of discussion yeah. within the fan base. Yeah. Who I, I totally understand why they would want to keep Monahan. You know, if they can conjure up all the reasons why they would want to do that. They should yeah. be able to understand why it's going to be pretty hard for Ken Hughes to say no to a trade. Now, maybe I'm completely wrong, and maybe the Canadians don't get offered fair value. But the thing I've learned about this business is the only time you really don't get offered fair value, if not yeah. more than fair value, is when there's only one team that's interested in your player. 
like knowing what we were just talking about, there's going to yeah. be a lot more than one team interested in this player. And the, the Canadians, I don't think, I don't know how they're going to be able to answer that question in a yeah. different way. Like I'm the, I, I'm the Carolina hurricanes. I'd like to have Sean Monahan on my team. And and, and I'll, I'll end it with this on Monahan. All right. The Canadians have Nick Suzuki who's their number one centerman. And you know what? Next year, Kirby doc will come back and he'll be their number two. And some nights he's going to play like a number one. Um, but right now with doc hurt, and you know what? They'll try Newhook again at center, and he'll end up playing a little bit of wing. Newhook's a possibility. But right now with Doc Hurt and with Newhook Hurt, Monaghan hasn't always been playing center. And 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 Dvorak still got a year left on his contract. Evans still has a year left on his contract. Evans is playing playing center on a line with you know Monaghan playing wing, and they end up taking turns. No, look, to answer your question. Monaghan's value to other teams, as much as he's valuable to the Canadians, is much more so than his value to the Montreal Canadiens. All right, a couple more things I want to talk to you about. Uh, one is Jaden Struble. I had a chance to see the interviews, obviously, him and and um, and Jordan Harris. They're like bread and butter. Uh, I mean, they played together at Northeastern. They're playing again together. Jaden Struble, I was taking a look at the you know, last three or four games. His minutes keep on increasing all the time. And I think it's I think it's three games in a row. I could be wrong, Eric. Three or four games in a row, where he's got the third most ice time of Montreal Canadiens defenseman. Third most. It's usually uh, it's usually after Matheson and Gouli. He's he's playing more minutes than Savard right now. He's playing more minutes than Kovacevic. He's playing more minutes than Harris. He's it's it's an incredible story. It's a great story. Like it's a great story because if you would have asked me before training camp this year, because he had a he had a strong camp before he kind of got hurt. Like, what are the chances we'll see this kid in the NHL at some point this year? I would have said pretty negligible. He wouldn't have been the first name I would have thought of. I would have thought of William Trudeau. I would have thought of Logan Mayu. Even Um, he has. He had so much raw ability and physicality about him that the, the the hope was that inevitably you could mold him into an NHL player and teach him how to play the game. It's kind of a wild horse that needed to be tamed. But all those questions are pretty much gone. Like, you know, you don't overreact to a 17-18 game sample. Um but we're way past, as Marty St. Louis said, you know, he was surprised five, six games in. He's not so surprised now. Like, we're way past the surprise phase of this experiment. Yeah. And uh, what we know for certain is that Jaden Struble is an NHL defenseman. We know that for sure. What we're learning and what he'll have to prove is that he consistently could go from being a guy who you'd say, as a 5-6, just like Harris and Kovacevic and Barron and this mm-hmm. and Jack Eye, you know, he's there. But can he be a top four? And right now, he's making a very strong case that he will have to cement over the next little while. I, 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 don't, I don't believe he could. Yeah. Like I yeah. I believe he could make the case. I, I believe I, he could I, cement it. I believe out of all the Canadians defensemen, he is the one who has most simplified his game and stuck with it. Well, maybe he always, maybe that was always his game 
just his ability to to play it at the pro pro level after four years of college and the last year in which he was pretty much languishing at Northeastern wasn't a great fit for him. I don't know what happened with their coaching staff or whatever. Like I, I just, it didn't look like he was becoming a better player there in his last year. He looks like a guy who was very much ready to become a pro and, and, and is really adapted fast and, and maybe just really been able to translate what's always been his game, and it just made more sense at the pro level. Some guys are like that. Some guys, yeah. you put them around better players, and they're just better. Like, that's just yeah. who they are. Yeah. Uh, some guys will go, will be better players and go down to the AHL because they have one thing or this to work on, and they will really struggle uh, versus what they would look like in the NHL game where there's a lot more structure and it's a lot more predictable. Um I think the Canadians are very happy that's not the case with Jackye right now. He's playing very well down in Laval and working on the things that they want him to work on. And there's no rush to get him back in for, for a couple of reasons. One is Struble. And the other is Jordan Harris is, is playing pretty well too. Like Jordan Harris has come back in the lineup, obviously recognizing that, okay, Jackye's down, Struble's arrived, and I'm going to have to really fight to keep my spot here. And uh, it's it's mixing up the cards pretty good for the Canadians and a, a good problem to have. And Jack Guy himself has actually elevated his game over the last couple yeah. of weeks himself too because he sees hey, what's really going is. up upstairs and he's like, you know what? I'm going to have to be at my best to be able to dislodge one of these guys because these guys are they're getting it done. And uh, he's got quite the pairing, by the way. This is probably another story for another show. But him and Logan Mayu are having some really, really good moments together, especially in the last 10 games or so. and. You know, Jack guy's looking like an NHL defenseman down in the American Hockey League, but the guy who looks really good. I, I said, but before you go on, like I, I said, like I believed before Struble emerged in this and that, that if you look at those guys, Harris, Barron, Kovacevic, Jack guy, I really feel that Jack guy has the, the variety of elements within his game offensively, uh, physically, and if he could hone the defensive game, that he would be the most likely candidate that I believe would make it as a top four defenseman. And now I think Struble showing that he has those elements uh, and that like just that internal competition driving those two guys and Jack, I being able to play with Mayu, like you were saying makes him better. Like it's, this is such a good problem for the Canadians to have. This is as good of a problem as you could hope for as you try to improve your development, right? Like, this is it. Yeah, yeah. All right, in ending, um, and uh, this has been fun so far, but what's the um, what's the one thing that you think we should be paying attention to over here over the next couple of days with uh, the Canadians uh, being off for a couple, and then, of course, they're going to visit the Flyers in Philadelphia? Well, I, I, I want to see, you know, specific to that game against Philly, like, I want to see how the Canadians – adapt to playing a different style of team right like they're going from a couple of really deep skilled teams dallas tampa bay to playing a real hard nose very much in the image of the philadelphia flyers flyers team you know like john tortorella's flyers who will play like the flyers are supposed to play and what their entire franchise is supposed to mean like they have a bunch of lunch pail dudes and they are they play a physical brand of hockey, and it's uh, what they've done this year has Tortorella in the driver's seat of the Jack Adams race, I would I would suggest. 
Um, I think there's a couple of good candidates with him. Like I'm very surprised where Washington is in the standing. So I guess it's, it's Spencer Carberry in, uh, in Washington. He would have a pretty good, uh, good opportunity to be in that conversation. I think if Marty continues doing what he's doing, he'd, he'd be in that conversation too. They'll probably lower down the list unless the Canadians miraculously made the get a wild card spot. Yeah. Who's, uh, who's starting in goal, uh, on Wednesday in Philly. Don't know yet. Not confirmed yet. I I know because I saw all three players, all three goalies involved in practice. Of course, at one point they were on. They're playing back to back. Yeah. They're playing back to back, right? They're playing Philly. Then they're playing, is it San Jose in Montreal? So, I think I think it's San Jose. I, again, we talked about yeah, the days the uh, the all yeah, blending together. Yeah, the Sharks, and then they got the Oilers on Saturday. I I wouldn't be surprised. We don't have any confirmation of anything yet. I I would bet Montebo plays against the Flyers and Primo plays against San Jose, and then we might see Allen on Saturday against uh, who is it? The Oilers. The Oilers, uh, but they have two yeah. goalies now. And yeah, they say they're they say they're comfortable with their two goalies. Who the Oilers? That's what they say. That's what. Yeah, I well, mean. we'll see how they feel if they go on a f- four game bender. I know they finally worked themselves into a playoff spot. The thing about starting as far behind as the Oilers did is you, yeah. the amount of effort that goes into getting back is is unthinkable, and then you have to sustain it, right? So you don't the minute you go on a little skid, you're right back in the same seat. Uh, Copley's hurt, by the way. Copley's hurt for the rest of the season for the Los Angeles. Yeah, L.A., New Jersey, up, Carolina. But they, but they also have uh, they also have David Riddich as a backup. There, we know there, that there are plenty of teams in the NHL in need of a strong, stable goaltender. Toronto. Uh, there's a lot of teams. There's a lot of teams. So I don't think yeah. we've seen the last of Jake Allen uh, in Montreal. I expect. I think. I think you could see all three goalies this week. I would, I would be surprised if it wasn't Montambo right away, Montambo uh, against the Flyers. I think he deserves it. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, the way he played on Saturday and he won a big game, Marty St. Louis can probably smell a wild card spot five or six points away or whatever it is. I, I would think he's going to go back to Montambo. But then again, if he doesn't, it's probably not his call. Well, I no, listen, I, I think it's okay also to go back with Montambo on Wednesday if only for – on top of the rest from Saturday to Wednesday, you're also going with the guy who's freshest from Saturday to Wednesday, like because it is a long kind of lag between games versus the schedule that they've been in recently. So I, I think it makes a whole lot of sense to go to Montembeau outside of the the reasoning that he earned it. I think if the Canadians were playing Tuesday, we might see it. It might. That's one of those situations where if Montembeau was the number one, it w- it might make sense for him to rest. You know, with a back to back. So. St. Louis versus Tortorella. Can't wait. Thanks, yeah, Eric Engels. I'll talk to you again uh, one week from tonight, I guess. I will say I will say that when I was at the coaches GM's meeting at the beginning of the year, uh, yeah. I, I was talking to Tortorella about St. Louis, and he just his eyes lit up. The, the minute I mentioned Marty St. Louis, his eyes just lit up. Really, like yeah. he, he absolutely has a world of respect for a guy that not only did he coach and have a great relationship with him, they they went to war with each other, those two guys, and he loved that about him. He loved that Marty would battle with him about ice time or, or decisions or anything like that. Those are the guys that Torts respects the most, and uh, he, he certainly he thinks that Marty St. Louis is becoming a hell of a coach. 
I um I remember one conversation I had with Tortorella. It was uh, I pulled him aside and we started talking, and I said, "Hey, uh, you know, where does your family hail from? Uh, you know, where in Italy exactly?" And uh, and he told me, and it was Southern Italy, and I knew where they were from, and we had a real good conversation about that. And I'd asked him if he had been, and I think he had said he did not, whatever. And then the next time <laughs> was right after a game. And Alex Kovalev did something, and I asked him a question about Kovalev. I think it's whatever. And he's like, I don't give a shit about Kovalev. So anyway, I had such a real nice conversation with him, and the next day, I think it was, or the next time, I don't remember if it was the day after, whatever. He's like, uh, he he's he one guy. I know you, Kovalev, yeah. I, I know we got to go, but like, he's one guy that if you meet him and talk to him, he is a wonderful, wonderful guy. Does yeah. he have patience for a post-game availability when his team loses? Absolutely not. And that's what makes him one of the most entertaining guys in hockey. As a coach, I I think he's fantastic. Is, is he always fantastic every day? And, and is every part of what he does fantastic? No. But, man, you could say a lot of things about John Tortorella, whether you love or hate him or whether you think his methods are antiquated. That guy cares a ton about his players, even the ones who he's hard on, especially the ones he's hard on. So, And I'm sure Marty would attest to that, too. Check out Eric's article on sportsnet.ca and give him a follow on Twitter if you haven't already. Thank you so much, my friend. I'll talk to you soon. See you, Tony. All right. There you have it. Eric Engels, Marinaro. Once again, I want to thank Energy Transportation Group. I want to thank Playground. I want to thank Accent Insurance Solutions. And I want to thank Labit Atibi. I also want to thank all of you for watching my Sick Army, my Sick Community. If you liked it, like it, share it with your friends, comment Sick, S-I-C-K, S-I-C-K, S-I-C-K. Leave us a five-star review on Apple. It's our way of feeling the love. No Sammy and Yellow or Juliana today. As a matter of fact, no, it's Shane Gomo. So for Shane Gomo at Master Control, it's a Sick Podcast. I'm Marinaro. Have a good night. We'll be back tomorrow night. Same time, same place. Right here, 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell all your friends about it. The podcast really is sick. And so am I. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast with Tony Marinero on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La Vida TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground, your premier gaming destination.